and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Vokelman. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 461. That's right. What are we talking about tonight? What are we talking about, Dan? Well, I'm <laughs> here. So we're going to be talking about Green Lantern number nine. Woohoo. Did I just launch into it? or <laughs> yeah, you just did. I, was, I was trying so very hard not to woohoo, but Mark did it anyways. Like, it's like, It's like a... Almost like a, a sympathy or mercy woohoo I feel compelled to sometimes. <laughs> Listen, we can all agree that we all feel this urge to cheer when it's time to talk about this book. So, Green Lantern number nine, <laughs> written by Jeffrey Thorne, with art by Tom Rainey, Marco Santucci, and Maria Laura Sanapo. Colors by Michael Atya and letters by Rob Lay. The title of this issue is Praxis, which is the act of turning a desire or idea into reality. Like, you know building a god out of people's beliefs, for example. Um, so John Stewart arrives on the Lightbringers planet to find Matrix-style pods containing tons of brainwashed people feeding their collective life force into the incomplete giant that's towering over them. Uh, the person behind all of this is the mystery man in the hood from issue two who identifies himself as, I think we're saying Isaac. I don't know. He, he's a god of New Genesis. He was a student of Highfather and Metron. And it seems that the identity of the Lightbringer, based on how some of their conversations goes, is not Isak, but rather the incomplete giant that Isak is trying to build. Uh, when it's completed, the giant will be Light Ray, one of the classic and most well-known new gods, and the first of which Isak is trying to restore using energy harvested from believers who he converted through mind control. Lonar informs John that the true purpose of the Green Lantern Corps was to oppose the new gods since beings overflowing with strong willpower would be immune to the sort of influence the new gods have over their followers. This makes the Lanterns a threat to Isak's plans even without their rings, which is why Isak ordered the bounty on John and the Quest Lanterns. While Lonar distracted Isak, John gathered as much willpower as he could muster and destroyed the incomplete Lightbringer, unintentionally unleashing the energy within in the form of a god storm, which apparently is a very bad thing for the universe. Back on Oa, Sojourner Moline goes to the science cells to talk to Euridian and confirms that the chaos on Oa in the first two issues was in fact an inside job. The Guardian Koyos set it all up. His attempts to negotiate with the other Guardians failed, so the Sorcerers of the Bright Circle helped him steal the central battery in exchange for, inf for information about the Starheart. Euridian and the others couldn't pass up the chance to possibly restore the magic that was stolen from the universe, so they agreed to help Koyos by pretending to assassinate him with a magic arrow that altered his body, causing a chain reaction once his remains were placed within the central battery during his funeral. So where did the central battery go? Inside a shadow vault, where it and Koyos spent the last six months becoming something new. A giant kaiju-sized guardian, saturated with green energy, with the central battery in his chest, and some kind of yellow squid monster on his head. As Koyos rises, he proclaims that the time of Oa is now over, just as Joe's ring finally runs out of power. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going that road this time. Do we do we think the yellow thing is that thing that burst out of the ground, like a new iteration of it from the first couple of issues or no? I thought that, but I don't think it's ever had like living features. Like, I don't think it's ever had a face. It's just been tentacles or whatever. 
Well, I mean, Koyos has never had a thing on his head or a battery in his chest either, but combine things together. Yeah, true. Maybe. I don't know. I th- that like the reveal of of Koyos's new form was is just kind of it, like this looks dumb. It's it's just a big guardian with a funny hat. Like it's <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know what what designs were rejected for this, but like I don't know how to take this seriously. <laughs> It's an alpha. It's an alpha guardian. <laughs> Anti guardian, I think, is well. We know, but I'm saying he looks like an alpha lantern with the battery. In the uh, true. Yeah, I do like that bit of design consistency because this is something they've done before. And apparently, haven't learned their lesson. I do find it interesting that in both halves of this story, of this story, we st- we still don't know what is driving the antagonist, but both of them felt it was necessary to create a gigantic godlike powerful thing i'm like are what are they are they both getting ready for the same thing like what's happening here well as we all know the only the only thing more thrilling than reading about new gods that we already know is reading about new gods that we really don't give a shit and barely have heard about (laughs) thank you for lone r and isak we greatly appreciate that (laughs) yeah intended the new let's talk about the new gods for a minute because like the something i've struggled with more and more as the story goes on is the blind spot that is my new god's knowledge like i know i know some random esoteric facts about them and that's kind of it like once they said light ray's name in this issue i decided to look up a picture of light ray from the silver age and not only is that that v symbol or that v or that w symbol just light ray's symbol but his head looks exactly like the angels. It's like it, if we knew anything at all about the new gods, we would have taken one look at them and said, Oh, that's light Ray. They're just, they're doing, they're doing something with the light Ray. Yeah. I'll take the loss. <laughs> My head is free for other information. I don't know what, but it's free. <laughs> all those ragman facts have to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I've got something. I've got to maintain my knowledge, man. I'm like the only person out there for people to go to for that. <laughs> There's plenty of new gods experts, I think. <laughs> people just don't care that they have, people just never need any. <laughs> That'll be Mar- Mark's next spin-off podcast. Oh yeah. Oh my new gods. <laughs> so God. let me let me ask you guys about that. Like I so I was reading it right, right? Like the Lightbringer is referring to the giant light ray that's being built. Because like they they established that oh these people's energy or whatever is being fed to the giant and then Isak says you know their energy something like their energy f- will feed Light Ray or something like that and it's like, so I'm like oh that means Light Ray or like that that uh their energy feeds the Lightbringer so I'm like oh okay so that means that the giant is the Lightbringer. And that's just like like he basically brainwashed them to create a religion surrounding and worshiping Light Ray to build him. Like you think you mean like they're not they're not dying, but they're just being brainwashed because of the whole collective. If enough people believe in a thing, then it exists thing. Or are they actually dying? You think? Oh no, I think they're definitely dying. Okay. But what, like like what I'm saying is like okay. Let's let's accept the idea that Light Ray is gone, which, okay, I didn't know the new gods were missing, but whatever. <laughs> so I want to bring back Light Ray. The new gods are fueled and sustained by the belief of followers. So I'm going to brainwash entire planetary populations into becoming, like, faithful devotees to, of Light Ray specifically so I can gather them all together and use all that faith in light ray I just made them have to, you know, harvest out of them and ma- resurrect light ray using it. And like the light bringer is like, it's like just like the name associated with like this, like, I don't know, fake religion or whatever that like they've, he's like concocted. Well, the name might be directly obviously related to light ray being the light bringer of, uh... It does seem like he's planning on bringing back the new gods in general, because that's what he starts to say before he gets interrupted. I, I am bringing him back. I, you know, I am bringing them all, and then he gets, and then it gets interrupted. So it does. So I'm not sure if the 
if he's trying to create this giant being just to be Light Ray or as a catalyst, something powerful enough to bring back the new gods. And Light Ray is just going to be the his man crush, and that one's coming back first. Not, not that probably any of us really care all that much one way or the other cause, because it's new gods. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things to come out of this was like a stray piece of dialogue where like John's like, you're killing these people. And he's like, these aren't people. They're fragments and splinters. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they? Is he like that? That could be a like, we're all just a part of God kind of kind of things that he's going for. Or it could be like a weird multiverse thing. I, like, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Yeah, I, I certainly when I read it, I didn't think it was implied that it's just like, oh, like every single individual, we're all part of a whole. I just I took him at his face value that at least from his perspective, and we don't understand why yet that they look like they're all individuals, but they're really not. They're only like kind of like fragments of an individual, pieces of parts of an individual, uh, parts of a person, because he says they're, they're not people. So it's not like he's saying they're not alive. It's not like that. It's not like he's saying they don't matter necessarily he's just he's out and out saying they're not people which means what you're seeing in that in that in that containment vessel or those vessels are not really individuals at least from his perspective they do seem to be playing fast and loose with uh what this what green lantern power is which makes you wonder where this is going to go and what the ramifications will be especially if thorn doesn't end if he ends up getting a boot after a year <laughs> well we should know soon this list yeah he's probably not going to get he, the I suspect he's not going anywhere. I suspect he's at least going to get two years on this book or at least a year and a half on this book. I think we probably, I, we, we probably would know already if he was getting the boot because this, we're already in issue nine. There's only four more issues, right. To complete this. Uh, or th- yeah. three, more, three more issues, 10, 11, 12. And, and I think they solicited up through 11, 12 will probably, the solicitation for 12 will probably be out by the time this episode's up. Um, I don't know. I think I've said that before. I would I would rather have it be bad and know what it ended up being instead of rather than like have it get cut off early and always wonder. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just that they're, they're, cha- they're obviously potentially we have this, the change in the status quo for John. And then the question is, if you leave them they're, wherever they're going with John, it's going to be hard for him to go back to being just a Green Lantern again, which, of course, right now it would seem like that's not the point. But we know at some point he will be because everybody does. I mean, Hal, Hal went from Green Lantern to Parallax, to Spectre back to Green Lantern. Kyle went from Green Lantern to Ion to Green Lantern to Ion to Green Lantern to White Lantern and back. <laughs> uh, but the, but and sometimes and many of these times it's not like oh it just it wasn't an overnight rollback. I mean sometimes you were this like Kyle was White Lantern for a while. How was Parallax for a while, Spectre for a decent amount of time. So it, obviously it can be done, but it's it's going to be depending on what they do here and where they end up and and how much we get, especially even in this arc, how much we get about what John's ascension really means. That does change a big part of the status quo. And then it's also they do seem to really be he, Thorn seems to be really playing around with the idea that maybe. You know, we don't know Jack about what, about, you know, what the Greenland, you know, the real essence of the Green Lantern power or, or, or what and arguably then how it affects the emotional spectrum and things like that. Yeah. And that comes up again in this issue, but like it's right in the middle of everything else that's going on. So they don't get time to spend more than one panel referencing it, which is starting to come up like once an issue now. So right. I just I just want somebody like I'm waiting. I'm. I'm going to be so happy the next time we get a flashback because at this point it doesn't matter what topic it's covering. It's going to be important. And it's going to be something that I've been wanting to know. about. Uh, speaking of flashbacks. So this is, this is a scene in this issue that I'm hoping you guys can explain to me. So John is fighting the angels. He gets knocked out and he has like, he's remembering you know, being back in high school, talking to his teacher, learning a lesson about, you know, don't rush in and try to solve your problems with violence. It's and it, it morphs into like like him talking to the guardians and then he wakes up and at first it's like, oh, it's just like a it's a it's him realizing that he should be trying to find another way to resolve this situation. Great. Fine. Whatever. Except that when he as he's waking up, Lonar says to him, like, 
Like, ah, not bad, John. You made the right choice. You figured out how to how to do this. And he stands up and like there's all these people around. And I'm like, oh, did John like subconsciously like teleport all these people out of their pods? But then I'm like, no, I I think these are some these are like some of the people that walked through that portal when he flew through it. Like did he free these people? Or like what choice did John make? And like two pages later immediately tries to solve the problem with violence by blowing up the giant and it like might kill the universe now. So like what, what the hell was the point of this dream scene? He didn't, he didn't free anybody. They're still walking in there. They're still in a daze. So those, so those are the people that haven't been put into the pods yet. Yeah. They're not in there yet. They're still, they're still streaming in standing room only. Yeah. And as far as what Lonar says, I think he's, I don't think he's referring to John's dream or like he knows what John was dreaming about or whatever. I think he's just referring to the previous issue when he told him to go through. Oh, okay. Remember he told him like, because John was trying to save those people or whatever. And, uh, and he kept fighting and Lonar said, you know, you could, you should go through that thing. And John made the choice to go through. Okay. That does make a lot more sense. And plus, Uh, Oh, and, go ahead. and plus the idea that, you know, he is prepping John for, hey, you're, you're basically the the way you're ascending, you can draw power from some all from basically everything in the universe. And and you're so and at, up to this point, you've only been conditioned to just draw it from, you know, the green aspect of the quote unquote emotional spectrum. And so when so when John makes the reference that, wow, you know, I, I you know, I, I probably should be dead, but I feel like but I feel like Superman is like he's kind of. It's the idea that, hey, you're kind of broadening your consciousness because the reality is that once you figure out how to draw power from everything, then you're just going to keep growing stronger and stronger and stronger, too. Which is probably how we're going to resolve the God Storm, right? Like they they tell us they tell us on the one page that, oh, by the way, John, you you are now fueled by every source of cosmic power in the universe. And oh, hey, look at that an explosion of cosmic power that could destroy everything. Wonder what we're going to do about that. And the emotional spectrum colors for the most part. (laughs) So we were talking about, we don't think John's going to be a green lantern again in terms of soon. Do we think then that we're leading into since the new gods are dead, the fifth world, because I'm looking at, I don't know anything about the fifth world, but you know, if, I think the fifth world we've seen is probably null and void in terms of past in DC, but I'm looking at a comparison of fourth world members and uh, fifth world members on Reddit. And I'm looking at like, so light Ray in the fourth world is, is labeled as Orion's faithful friend and strategist. The fifth world counterpart to light Ray is major Clavis, who is victory's faithful friend and strategist. But then I see Lonar here on this list of the fourth world and listen to this. Lonar is, Described as gold-clad, reluctant warrior slash peacekeeper. And then the fifth world version of him is Terran, gold-clad, reluctant warrior slash peacekeeper. So do we think John is ascending to be a fifth world god? And if so, do we think he's going to be the counterpart to Light Ray, the counterpart to Lonar, or something else altogether? I could see them doing a thing where like Lonar's Lonar's training his replacement sort of thing. And, and they, they certainly, you know, this run started by the guardians directly telling us that, Hey, one day earth is going to produce the next generation of gods. So like, I, you're probably right. It probably is going there. And like, John's just one of the first ones to make the transition. So we think fifth world, like specifically fifth world, like the next incarnation of the literal gods. Probably. I mean, that's probably absorbing the god storm would probably finish pushing him up there. But like the biggest question, like at this point, we're getting like a bunch of answers and they're all weird and all over the place. But like the biggest question I still have is like, what is all of this for? Why is Isak doing this? Why is Lonar manipulating john what like what were in in the other half of the story what did the guardians as a whole want to do that got koyos and numasini to do what they did and how is it how are both halves related like like it feels like 
everyone who knows what's happening is reacting to something else that we just don't know about yet. Yeah. So like the my, like the I guess the big question is like not, you know, what what is the the state of John Stewart going to be after the next couple issues? It's why do some of these people want to push him to that point? Do we know if Koyos is one of the ones who pushed him? I feel like Nima Sinni is. Yeah, but based on what we see at the end of this issue, we still don't know for sure if Nemo Sinni and Koyos are on the same side as they were mm-hmm. last time we talked about them, right? Seemed like they were on the same side, but maybe they're differing experiences, her locking herself in and then going to Earth, and then him going to the Sorcerer's World were uh, a diverging point for them in terms of their what they thought were similar ideologies. Or do you think they're working together still? I still think they're working together because of, because based on even what we talked about last episode on this, that we think if she's involved with the gauntlet and we really don't yeah. see much and we see Kelly, we don't, but we really don't see much of anything related to that aspect of their other, let's say two pronged plan potentially. So this was about him. Last issue was about her next issue. You assume we're going to find out more. And I, yeah, I, I still think, I still think they're working together. You 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 did have, you kind of had to love the fact that, even though you have this guardian who's who's now we obviously have a huge list of asshole guardians over the years. <laughs> so, so he's climbing the ranks pretty, pretty quickly. Like he's, like he's a top contender right off the bat, but you have to love ha- that guardians got a guardian that you have to love the fact that regardless of that, he's, he's being a real asshole to, to everybody else, the core and the, and the other guardians, maybe other than his girlfriend here, that he still was enough of a guardian to screw over the magic users in the process, seemingly. <laughs> oh, we can, we're making this deal. I can help you summon this thing. Guess what? Up yours. <laughs> I love the fact that they do. I didn't even. I just sort of took for granted that the Starheart is common knowledge, but like they learned it exists from him going to their world and telling them about it. Yeah, that was funny. And that's like. I mean, he, I I doubt they know where it is and who's using it, but like, like that was like a little like, oh yeah, I guess they they wouldn't necessarily know, would they? If they did, they would be chasing Alan Scott all the time. <laughs> I don't know. The, people like if an entire world is run on magic, and a bunch of little blue bastards decades ago or eons ago, whatever the the time thing you want to do is gathered up all the random magic in the universe and coalesced it into one spot. I mean, just based on what we know about magic in terms of uh, the comics, somebody would have felt it, right? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I think there's wiggle room just because the Starheart is a living thing and it's changed. Like, Like half the retcons that have ever happened to Alan Scott come from the fact that the Starheart evolved over time and transformed itself enough that those transformations were reflected in Alan too. Like maybe, like maybe it's, I, I don't know. Magic, magic is bullshit. It can do anything. Like maybe it's as it changed, it also hit itself. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I just, I, I also, have we ever played around with the idea of the origins of the star heart in terms of how the guardians coalesced things? Because you would think, they would have to have used more than just their sheer power. They would have had to use some sort of magic, right? Maybe. I mean, I mean, the only thing I, the only imagery I've ever seen of it is like them floating in space with their hands in the air, shooting green beams everywhere. And then it's just, Oh, now we have a star heart. Yeah. I think the fact that like Koyos presumably, well, I don't know. I got, I was assuming that he went, to Sorcerer's World and learned magic himself, which maybe he did because he was there for a month. And I don't think he spent 27 days just negotiating with Eurydian. But like the idea that, I mean, when you, when you think about like the Guardian's history is filled with them embracing something first and then swearing it off forever and making it illegal and trying to get rid of it. So at some point, one or more of them probably did mess with magic. Yeah, that mm. wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, even, I mean, even though, yes, you look at this now, I mean, you look at the image at the, the last splash page and yes, you see, it's very easy to see the central power battery in there. But when I first saw it, I almost, it reminded me almost like of the center of Alan's costume. 
So it kind of reminded me, I, my first reaction when I, when I first read the issue was that maybe that is more, that it was almost more magic than it was the central power battery. Then it made more sense because of everything in the shadow vault, of course, but based on look alone, if I had not read that, I would have just assumed that what he is tapping into magic more than anything else. Not just, not just because of the, the squishy bowler, <laughs> bowler hat that he's wearing. His fancy hat. Yeah. It's a big day for him. But yeah, I think I think Koyos and Nimasini are still working together. I think her focus is on building whatever it is she's building. And his focus is on destroying what needs to be moved out of the way. Hmm. Why did Joe's hair change when her ring lost power? That has happened. That happened in Far Sector, too. Did it happen in that Far Sector? Happened. Yeah, it happened a couple times because she had... She always like she we've seen her with like a, a handful of different hairstyles. Yes. And it's it's gone back and forth when she like suits up, which I love the idea that, oh, that hair, that hairstyle is literally being held together by sheer force of will. <laughs> the thing I'm wondering, and I haven't thought to keep track of this, do the depowered lanterns still have their rings on? Because the central battery is right there, you guys. <laughs> That's a good question. I would assume so. Unless somebody went around and collected them, I don't think they would have given them up. Yeah. You just know at least one of them swallowed it because they were paranoid, and now they're like, oh, shit. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) And another day day I'll be able to help you guys. (laughs) So what do we think about the the possible retcon of – the Green Lantern Corps having a uh, secret true purpose all this time. Tying it into the new gods just sucks. It's especially weird since they really haven't had that much interaction with the new gods over their existence. I mean, it, it, as far as we know, meaning like they could always like, like, because that first, that first meeting between the guardians and the new gods happened billions of years ago. So there could, there's definitely wiggle room to insert that but they would have to have a a pretty good explanation as to why it never came up before and why as far as we know the the lanterns don't know anything about it Hmm. i don't know that sounds so sad (laughs) yeah i don't know let it out chad let it out i don't i don't know that what he says necessarily means it's the only reason they were created but i think i think it being one of the main ones would wouldn't bother me because I mean, the guardians have done things in terms of contingencies that just never ended up happening or, or whatever. So just because it was built to fight the new gods or, or whatever the servants of the new gods doesn't necessarily mean that they anticipated that day would come or didn't have other plans for them as well. It would also give a little more context to the Manhunters because if you're, if your your big thing is you need an army that can't fall that that cannot be bent to the will of your enemy, robots seems like a good first place to start. Until that goes horribly wrong. True. I also don't know how I feel about this whole light rays like the this super important new god uh, that we got to start with him and he's got his own army of followers and like I. There's a, a plan to bring him back, like this whole thing, because Light Ray in and of himself isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like bringing him back isn't, it's not like the akin to Dark Side's dead, now someone wants to bring him back. So it's, he's one of the, uh, you know, new Genesis new gods, which, you know, can be rambunctious and headstrong and cause problems of their own, but not apocalypse level problems. So I don't know. The, the, guy, the guy trying to bring Light Ray and all the other new gods back being portrayed as sinister as he does kind of bothers me as as well you would think he'd have more of a you know devotee trying to do what he believes is the right thing and is just not seeing the error of his ways sort of thing air about him if that's what yeah, I would, he, he he's almost like a disney villain yeah in like you can see you can see his entire face curling with evil every time he smiles it's weird. Like, as far as I know, this is a new character, which makes it very strange to me that he's, like, cloaked and almost completely hidden from sight all the time. Like, I don't know why you dress a character like this unless you're going to, like, 
pull the hood off and reveal like, oh, it's that guy that we've known for years. I thought he wasn't new. Yeah, he's not. He's not completely new. He just has. He's just barely been used. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he he is he is a lesser new god as far as of you'd never even the majority of people would never even have heard of him. At least though, we do know why he likes flying flying around the chair to look like Metron. At least he got an he's got an explanation for that. At least. Yeah, his first appearance was in New Gods number four in 1971. Oh wow. But his appearance, the appearance of his death was in a DC graphic novel number four in March of 1985. So it's not like we've seen him a whole lot. Yeah. He was due. He was due for a comeback. Yeah, there's only 14 appearances of him, according to DC.Fandom. Though so he certainly doesn't look like that initial sketch. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, most of his appearances are in the New Gods. Some of them don't even count because they're like History of the DC Universe or Who's Who pages or something like that. But yeah, New Gods issues, an occasional issue, one issue Superman, one issue of Orion, one issue Forever People, stuff like that. But yeah, he's not he's not a new character, but he was like the acolyte or something of Metron and somebody else. All right. I mean, the only other story thing I wanted to, to ask is like, what do you guys think about using the Shadow Vaults? As like the crutch, the place. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, because like I looked, I looked back and they were mentioned in in like one passing line in issue one. And I don't think ever again after that. And in general, they don't come up very much in this franchise. And so like it and it, it rubbed me the wrong way. They're like, oh, the big reveal is that like, oh, the battery was in the shadow vaults all this time. You know, that place that we didn't recognize exists until it was time to reveal that fact <laughs> like i like the idea of like oh we made it look like the battery was destroyed but then dropped hints that it was sent away but actually it was still hidden on oa the entire time like i like that idea but like like it's not like the shadow vaults is a thing that most readers would probably even know existed before this issue I don't know. It, it, based on what I guess the super, supposed purpose of a shadow vault is, I don't know why it's any different or how it's any different from a pocket dimension. And why not just use that? I don't know. We know the, the Guardians are sneaky with their vault, so maybe that's why. But what? This is issue nine, so three more issues, right? We'll figure it all out, supposedly. Supposedly going to say, or we won't. <laughs> no. I think we will. Like, we've, we've, we know all pretty. I want to say we know basically, not basically, we know almost everything at this point. It's really just the big questions of like what, what were the mo- what are the motivations behind the people who are moving the pieces around? What the hell were the guardians going to do that made these two guardians think that this was a better option? And what the hell are the what the hell is going on with the new gods? Like we don't we we know what's being done we don't know why, and they've got three issues to tell us that. The very last thing I want to bring up about this issue is you know credit to Michael Atya on the colors because there are a couple like lately the last couple issues there have been pages that just like jump out because like they're colored beautifully. Like I think I, I mentioned when the the reddish oranges when John was flying through that portal and how it contrasts with the brightness of his green. Here, like not only does the God Storm look great when it's exploding out of out of that giant, but the page turn when Joe is being shown that that illusion of I guess Sorcerer's World and it's like this. It's like a fantasy, almost. It almost. It reminds me of Odom. I was just like, going to uh, say that. Yeah, I was waiting it, for it you to pause. It looks like the Blue Lantern home planet. Yep, yep. It looks just like Odom. Yeah. Yep. Is this like? Is this beautiful, high fantasy, like, like magical landscape, like brimming with color, like e- even colors that probably shouldn't exist in nature, and like they have the whole thing where like her and her like reflection in the water is like wearing like like a more like medieval dress or whatever. Like these pages of of this whole illusionary scene is just so wonderfully done. And so much of the heavy lifting is being done by the colors. And I just, we don't focus on that stuff enough. So, you know, well done, Michael Atya. This is, this is beautiful work. Yep. That's a good observation. It is, it is, it is a very vibrant book. So, and it does play well based on the themes and the 
story that's being told. So I, that is certainly a major plus for this book. Your oh, live that's chat. all I got. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't have anything else. I know. I'm only kidding. I, I just heard a sound. I thought maybe like Chad fell off. <laughs> oh, I, I closed my eyes. Oh, that was you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I killed Chad like we discussed before he got here. <laughs> all right. What's next, Chad? All right. We had some people I, I had posted over on Twitter that, you know, hey, we're going to be talking about Justice League Last Ride, uh, the wrap up to it. Anything you if you have any thoughts about the series, send us a couple of tweets. Some people got back to us, but they got back to us too late for us to read it on the air. So we'll just go ahead and read them now. At GoCast, Zach said, it's a great series and every character had their moments to shine. But it really was satisfying to see Hal used so well, especially in reference to the ending. Beautiful moment between Clark and Hal, moments after Hal did exactly what we'd expect from the character. And most people said the same thing. So if we, if we want to... Uh, you know, comment on it. We'll just comment after all three of them. But Emerald uh, at Emerald Lantern said Justice League Last Ride was a great read from start to finish. Both Zdarsky's writing and Miguel Mendoka's art was fantastic. I especially loved Hal and Clark's interaction in the final issue. That showed Hal feeling uh, you. That showed Hal feeling used and Clark understanding uh, for what Hal went through. And then at DC Comic Consumer just simply said, can't wait for it to be printed in novel form. Uh, graphic novel form so I can buy it and read it. Now you haven't talked about uh, last ride a lot on your YouTube channel. So any thoughts you have on last ride, Dan? I mean, I've, I think it's been a lot of fun. I've, I, I, I listened to your episode on it and I feel like I'm a slightly more positive version of you guys where like, I enjoyed it pretty much consistently beginning to end, but at the the last issue especially you could feel that it was cut short especially like especially like the last like two pages where they do a lot they like kind of glaze over a lot at the very end and i start wondering like oh why we haven't seen kilowog and jessica since they were you know doing all this stuff like why aren't they the ones in the room with hal instead of the flash or like like little details like, oh, when when Hal lost his powers, why didn't John just immediately dupe his ring and give him a temp one or whatever? And I um, there was so much going on crammed into the ending. I didn't even re- like realize Cyborg Superman just sort of left <laughs> until you guys pointed it out. But like, yeah, I don't know. I, I Maybe I would think differently on a reread, but I I liked it. I think it was a really good Elseworlds Justice League story that that stands well enough on its own and yeah i think i think it's the kind of story that if you haven't read it and you're interested in in these characters you should read it because it's a pretty good time i think there's character beats as people have pointed out you know the there are moments for the character for the characters to shine not everybody i think does I, mean, I don't know how much the flash really did in this series uh but overall but the reality is I think the yeah the characters I think are written relatively true to themselves. So I will op- I will openly acknowledge that. But the plot holes in this thing and the illogical decision making, it it I really couldn't move beyond that. And then something like when Chad and I, when Chad and I were talking about the feedback, as I usually do in my post mortem to recording the next morning when I shower and I think it usually inevitably I will think of something that we didn't talk about that probably we should have. One thing that wasn't even, we didn't even talk about, which was real easy because it was barely even referenced or hinted at in the final two issues, was just the fact that the whole sen- the whole interest, the most interesting thing about the whole book was trying to figure out what happened to the Justice League that split them apart and why Superman hates Batman. <laughs> so th- that's the that's the driving beat, the drum beat for like at least the first four issues of this sh- book. And then once you get the reveal of what it is, it's pretty anticlimactic and ridiculous because he's mad at Batman for being realistic enough to know someone has to make the sacrifice. Martian Manhunter is willing to do it. And Hal's pissed at him for letting him make that sacrifice. And and he's so pissed, he flies off and leaves Hal as a non-willing sacrifice to fight Darkseid. <laughs> Stupid! Which is a common thread from a plot perspective in this book. Dumb. And then that whole conflict just completely disappears other than that little joke Batman made about, oh, you'd be mad at me like if I got, you know, if I died or you, if I let you die or whatever, that I don't I don't think it was well constructed. The part that 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 strains it for me is that, like, you know, the whole thing, the whole plot, the whole reason 
that Darkseid did this this way was because he wanted to have his resurrection and get his revenge at the same moment. So he could he could have just gone to Apocalypse and come back to life, except he wanted the ju- to lure the Justice League there so he could immediately kill them. So, okay, I, I can buy that he would set up this whole elaborate plan, but the plan literally hinges on knowing that the League would have to pick Apocalypse as their destination for where to go to hide somebody. And that's, I don't, I, I, that, I don't know how you get there. I guess gods are smarter than me. I, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff. It's really difficult to overlook so many of the plot holes and plot armor in that story. It just is. And it didn't, and in the beginning, you know, we kind of joke, we kind of joked around about it as like, oh, so why the hell would you do all this for, you know, for Lobo when the odds are you can't kill Lobo anyway. But then when they start making the, when they start pointing their own fingers at the stupid plot points, it's like, oh, we should have, Diana, we should, we should have done this to start with. It's like, well, yeah. Or Dark Side, well, there were other ways for me to get back here to Apocalypse. It's like, yeah. It's like, okay, when you're, when you're literally making fun of your own plot in your book, that really pushes, you know, the, you know, the disbelief, the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, but then they pull out a kryptonite knife and call it the kryptonite and all is forgiven. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, so, even with, it's so stupid, I love it. <laughs> even, even with the Henshaw-Brainiac combo, no. Uh, and, and, then, and then the coincidence is like, oh, all these, not all these, it's not like all these characters are, are, are being pulled to Apocalypse because this is Darkseid's master plan. It's like, no, some, it's like, oh, what, it's divine intervention, as, as Henshaw said. No. I understand if people like the plot points or they like the art in the book or they, and they think some the scenes are cool. That's fine. That's fine. But it's, but it's, to me, I can't, it's, it, it clearly is one of these stupider plots. And like I said, if you didn't make fun of your own plot holes in the story itself, then maybe it'd be easier to overlook. But yeah, that, I guess the way, the way I would ultimately describe it is that I found it to be a really fun ride that maybe didn't, yeah yeah it's it's the easy joke to make but it's like it's also the most accurate like like i had fun along the way and in the end it maybe it didn't wrap up as well as it could have or should have but it doesn't change the fun that i had up until that point so i would still i would still say if somebody hasn't read it it's a good story to read but it's a good popcorn comic book yeah that makes sense i'll buy that if you don't think, if you don't, because that's what a popcorn movie is is supposed to be, something you don't have to think about. You just sit there and you enjoy. I will, cons- as a pop, if you want to call this a popcorn's comic, a popcorn's comic book story or arc series, yes, I will, I will absolutely concur to that. If you don't think too hard, you can have fun. But when you do, then it's like, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> cool. All right. What's next, guys? We know what's next, Chad. You want to talk about this Into the Spider, <laughs> the Into the Spider Verse trailer, in which I'm not gonna. I don't. My I don't know if I should go first or last on this. That's why it's it's interesting. The content there isn't. Let's be honest, there isn't a whole lot of content. No, no, for sure. There's not. There's not much really revealed other than we. I mean, we basically pick up right where we left off. Uh, you know, when when Gwen's kind of in that little bubble above miles on the uh while he's lying on the bed listening to his music and she's calling his name and then she pops on through and i mean we just basically pick right up after that scene and he says he's grounded and can't go anywhere and she's like but is spider-man grounded uh and then they go off and then cut scene and we just see him going through the multiverse and then we see 2099 spider-man tackle him and try and get a hold of him and wrangle him and everything one thing I thought was interesting was it looks like Miles' style changes as he goes oh, through yeah. the multiverse. Yep. So I'm wondering what other styles we'll see Miles in. Will we technically even see a live action Miles? I mean, you know, they they do like to play with that concept. Um, they played with the 60s animation cell stuff. They played with, you know, uh, Spider Pig stuff. They played with the Spider Noir. They they played with lots of different effects in the first movie so how far will they go with playing it with it in this movie do we will we get as far as a quick clip of them in live action or whatever i I, 
and and to bring it back to what this all kind of spins into is you know I collected the original Spider Verse story with the um, with the inheritors and stuff like that, um, and uh, I love the shit out of that. I had Spider Gwen's first appearance, which I sold a couple of years ago for like three hundred dollars or something. Uh, it was already going crazy then. I should have probably held on to it a little more, um, but it's okay because I only sold that one comic out of the collection, and Marvel just solicited a facsimile version of it, so <laughs> I get to fill in the hole. <laughs> I don't know how close we're going to get to it into the inheritors thing. It seems a little dark for kids. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily consider across this or the spider verse stuff fully for kids, but PG 13 ish. how, how far do you want to lean one way or the other? I don't know. So will we go inheritors? Will we not? What's, what's the sort of spider verse plot? I, I look, honestly, I just wanted to talk about it because wow we're getting it super soon that's cool i'm so glad we, i didn't wasn't expecting to even i guess timeline wise it made sense but i wasn't honestly expecting to see anything before the end of this year and i was just happy to see this and i thought it looked cool and it got me real hyped again and i'm just really glad that the animation style and everything just holds the the sheer level of quality it had um and i'm, I'm just stoked for it so surprise, surprise, when uh, we start talking about movies we're looking forward to in 2022. <laughs> yeah, I am I am glad to see more in the vein of the best comic book movie ever made. I, I Spider-Verse, all by itself, the first one, you could have never revisited it ever, and it would have been perfect, and I would love it for my whole life. And I am, op- I am both eagerly looking forward to this and also also nervous because like if you left it alone you wouldn't be able to to fuck it up but now you now there's the potential who knows who knows if it'll if like you now you're trying to capitalize on the thing you know that works so maybe it'll go great maybe it won't but i i'm i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt i think it'll go pretty well i'm not expecting it to have all that much to do with the comics you know, I I think if we get to the point where these characters are explaining what a spider totem is to the audience, then we might have we may have gone a little too far. <laughs> but uh, I do think there's the potential to get your uh, at least one or two scenes in live action like that, like you were saying, Chad. Because from what I understand, one of the main Spider-Men in the in it this time is supposed to be the live action. Japanese Spider-Man from like that that Sentai show where he had like the giant robot and everything. Mm-hmm. So I could see like a scene on hi- in live action on his Earth when he like first shows up and then maybe goes home or something. I don't know if that means they would like like cast somebody to play live action Miles for a second here and there, but like I don't know. I'm I'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing like the variety of Spider-Man and like who. Do they bring back anyone familiar other than Miles and Gwen, or is it just going to be them plus a bunch of new ones? Yeah, I mean, we know 2099 is in there, but uh. for sure. And I really want to see like my my wish list is just straight up Spider Punk. I want to see Spider Punk. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like again, yeah, there's 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 honestly not a lot to talk about. It looks like maybe Miles is at the very last minute in 2099's timeline slash universe based on like the tech and the the tunnels for the cars and stuff like that. But we, we don't know, but yeah, Mark's right. There's nothing really to dissect here other than, wow, we got to see this again. And it's not supposed to come out until October 7th. So like, I, I maybe Mark wouldn't be, maybe you're not surprised, but like, I'm just surprised we got to see anything before the end of the year. Well, the funny thing is at first, you know, and again, as far as the trailer goes, again, the this is at the moment. It's this teaser trailer is it's kind of like I make the analogy I make. It's like the Eternals teaser trailer. It's preaching to the convert to the converted into the choir. If you if you were pumped about this project to begin with, then no matter then you would then you would look at this. People would look at this trailer and go, "Oh wow, that looks great." If you were not super pumped for this, or you are either a neutral or skeptical about it, there's nothing in this trailer that would make you go, "Hmm." Maybe I should re- I should rethink this. That's not what this trailer is designed. So my initial reaction was, OK, it took me a while. Th- I, I thought about this, too. It's like, why are they releasing it now? Because it's obviously going to get completely swallowed up in no, in no Way Home 
Mania because that's all people care about. And as we record this, it's two days away from coming out. And the reviews are really good so far. So that's probably just going to feed the, the hype train on no, way, on no Way Home. And then I kind of thought about it. It's probably the, the we're so used to trailers being dropped on purpose to get maximum social media discussion and to kind of like dominate the Internet for at least several days, if, if not maybe a week. But I don't think that's what this trailer was. This trailer was kind of like almost like a more of an old school way of doing it back in your early your early 2000s, late like 90s, when you, when you either couldn't download trailers at all or it would take you all day to download it on dial up if you wanted to save it and watch it or back like when Phantom Menace came out and you had to go to the theater to see the trailer. This isn't designed to put asses in the seats, but I think they released it when they did, knowing that they were going to have millions of asses in the seats to watch No Way Home. And this trailer is going to be on No Way Home. <laughs> and I think that's the main reason. It's to get maximum exposure, to, re- to reinforce to, to people this movie's coming out next year and putting it on another Spider-Man movie. So maybe you'll get some crossover interest that wasn't there before. Oh, but, but you're also getting rumors that Doctor Doctor Strange trailer may come out this week, and if that were to come out, then that in a way that might torpedo that a little bit. Because the Doctor Strange trailer would probably leapfrog over. So I think now, so now, one of the questions I had about this trailer is why did it start with Meanwhile in another another universe, and then I'm now thinking back to the end credits of Venom. Or was it which came out first, Venom or Into the Spider Verse? Into the Spider Verse, I think. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so at the in at in, in the end in the end credits of Into the Spider Verse, it said "Meanwhile in another universe," and then it gave us a a, a scene from a scene from Venom or a trailer for a scene from I think Venom, and then the trailer for this won't be in front of Into the, uh, the next Spider Man movie. This will be at the end of it. This will be one of the teaser scenes at the end of that movie. I don't think that's going to be what they're going. I I I bet it is. I don't think. I certainly don't think it's an. They could stick it at the end. I don't think it's certainly not going to be one of the after credit scenes. It was one of the after credit scenes in Into the Spider Verse. For right, for, but, for, for but, but you're talking about this is going to be on the end of. You think they're going to stick it at the end of Far From Home? Yes. I don't know about like pre credits, mid credits, but. Probably if, if I, I I think end credits. I don't think. Well, we'll we'll find out about that. I do, I think why else say meanwhile in another another universe? Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it depends on where the scene takes place in the movie. Like maybe we don't actually open on Miles. Maybe we open with either twenty ninety nine or Gwen, and it's just like. It's the second scene in in the Spider Verse sequel. I mean, it's possible. It's possible you could be right based on what certainly based on what I've heard so far. That's it's certainly not an after. I haven't heard anything that indicates that this is an after an after credit scene because both after credit scenes are supposed to be related to the MCU at the end of uh, No Way Home. I don't know what they are other than stuff I've heard before. But since the movie, the reviews have been coming out. I have not actively sought information, nor have I stumbled into information of what they actually are. So that's the reason why, I mean, if, if you get to the, and I think the last after credit scene supposedly is like really, really, really at the end, like you're almost where it says you get into the part where it says Sony at the end, and then they play something at the end. So if that's really true and that's where the after credit scene is, then I don't see how it's possible. If they had two, a mid credit scene and then another post credit scene. And then after Sony, then they got to the, it's possible. I don't think Sony wants to do that because I, I don't think. I think in this movie, for No Way Home, their bread, their bread is buttered with with the MCU. I don't think they want to. I don't think they want to. I don't know how that. I don't know how that helps them all that. All I know is this: this new Tom Holland Spider-Man movie had better have a moment where reality's breaking down and doorways to other universes are opening and closing and. We look to the left and there's a portal and in that portal is like cartoon Miles and Gwen that just kind of turn around, look at us for a second, and then the door closes. And I'll be like, yeah, there they are. Yeah, I'm not rooting for that. It definitely won't, but. (laughs) (laughs) But But I'm excited for it. And uh, obviously, hey, it gives us a little teaser into one of the episodes we'll be getting in uh, the beginning of 2022. (laughs) That is that is true. But we'll see if the. 
But my whole theory about why they released it, the only thing that made sense about releasing it now would would get shot to hell if somehow Doc today is Tuesday, if somehow Doctor Strange gets released before before Spider Man opens up, then yeah, no. because Doctor Strange would obviously that trailer would absolutely push the into the Spider Verse trailer off the back into a ditch as far yeah. as they both don't get me wrong, they both would be on the movie. It's just that the Doctor Strange trailer would be what people would be more interested in by far. Uh, one thing I wanted to do, and I'm, I'm going to keep it brief because I don't want to give Mark an aneurysm. Um, uh, but uh, why should tonight be any different? Jack? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to get emotional, but um, I was helping my dad move into his new house the other day, and I literally worked sun up to sundown, basically, and then you know, long drive, you know, empty spaces, not a lot of uh cell signal, so I wasn't really on my phone a lot, but. When I got home Sunday night, that's when I found out that Anne Rice had passed away. And I bring this up, guys, because Anne Rice is bar none my favorite author of all time. And unfortunately, she passed away due some, to some complications of, I believe, a stroke. She, you know, obviously she was older, so it's not necessarily a surprise, but uh, really sucks because uh, I read and reread again and again and again since I was a teenager, you know, and I'm 34 now, those Vampire Chronicles books, and I adore them. And then she started doing some werewolf books, and I got into those. She does, she had her Mayfair Witches books, which are great too. And she had a bunch of other stuff, like when she had her like sort of Christian phase where it was like, christ the lord out of egypt and like other things like that like basically it's one it's one thing to follow a topic of hers but her just writing style i adored so much and um yeah she passed away and that really sucked i i just wanted to mention it because she is one of my favorite authors and several years ago it was 2014 she had a, a she was very active on social media really really involved with her fans and i'm talking uh, mostly her Facebook page. If you commented something, it was, I mean, you're not always going to get a reply, but she treated that almost like a, a, a wave, like a message board for her where she could reply to people. Um, and she was very in, uh, interactive with their community. And one, one day in 2014, she had a contest of, I think it was just like something along the lines of post a photo of your pet and a, like a small story about him or whatever. And I posted a photo of Rex, uh, which was a dog I had had that, even at that time had been passed away for a year or so. Uh, and I told a little story about him and I won. Uh, and the prize was a signed copy of her new book at the time, the wolf gift, which was her first entry in her werewolf chronicle stuff that she was going to do. And I got contacted by them, uh, the people who were helping her out and just so they could get my address for the shipping. Um, and I just yellowed it. You know, I just said, okay i know it's only supposed to be a signature but could i get a, a two chat in there and, and a personalization and they said you know she you know i don't know if we can really do that but we'll ask and then i i never heard anything back but a week or so later i got the book uh in the mail and i you know i'm a huge Anne rice fan i already bought the book in hardcover and and, and had read it but she sent the paperback uh a, a new copy and it said for chad all blessings and rice. What fun that you won in memory of Rex and 2014. And uh, I have that sitting on my shelf. It's it not like, like my Kristen Bell thing. I've got framed and everything on the wall, but that, uh, that book is just on the shelf. And it's that, that the knowledge that that signed book is on my shelf and it's signed to me from my favorite author. It's, it's not something that's on display. It's, it's just for me. And, you know, it, you know, you see, you come into my apartment, you see a bunch of pops on the wall and action figures and, sign things and commissions and all this stuff but the knowledge that there's my favorite author of all time has something in there that's not on display that's just for me and uh it really sucks that she's gone i don't know if you guys had any experience with it i think mark you had mentioned i think maybe your mom really liked Anne rice stuff uh, I, I think yeah i i know she, i know she was there was a there was a time frame i believe when she was when she was into that and i know that um i'm trying i'm trying to remember how many of them how many of the movies i've actually watched i don't know how many of the movies i've actually watched well there's only two there's interview with a vampire and then which is the big one obviously with tom cruise and, yeah but then there's queen of the damned which is yes. very poorly adapted uh but the soundtrack is incredible um but yeah yeah i did remember queen of the damned as well but yeah it's 
I can, I certainly can understand where you're coming from. It's, it was, I, like you and I talked about, I, I didn't know what you were doing that day. So I assumed you had already had found out. So when you met, when you messaged me that, you know, but when you had found out, when you messaged me, it's like, wow. I was like, yeah, I, I can understand how it hit, hit you even harder with the fact that having a long day and kind of almost being on a media blackout, which is tough these days for anybody to be in and then find out, Oh, during, during your brief sabbatical from, <laughs> from social media, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrity deaths don't really, I mean, I, I don't want to say be desensitized and say they don't really bother me, but like the last time I was severely bugged by one was Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park when he committed suicide. Cause I, you know, love, love, love Lincoln Park, but like, yeah, that, that sucks. And I, I, I didn't want to take up a ton of time, but I, I, I would not feel true to myself if I didn't at least talk about it for five seconds on, on the platform that we have here. So. No, you, you should. And you deserve it. And she deserves it. Like I've never read any of her work, but I've read and watched more than enough that has been influenced by it. You know, like no matter how, no matter what anybody's exposure to her actual body of work was so many of the things that we do enjoy wouldn't have been made the same way if the people who made them hadn't read her stuff, you know? So, so I mean, yeah, the double-edged sword with with becoming attached to a creator like that is that it's always going to hurt more when they go, but the impact they leave behind is never going to go away. Yeah, yeah. You remember Dan when we were at New York Comic Con? She was supposed to be there, and you and I went downstairs, but the line was crazy, and I was like, "Nah, let's forget about it." Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, oh shit, did I make him leave and miss his one chance? Oh, no, 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 because I, you know, I've got that book, so um. No, I'm all good. Um, but yeah. Anyways, yeah, yeah. thanks for letting me do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got a few minutes left here. Dan, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it, man. You want to talk about what's coming up for the channel and plug your stuff? Yeah. Um, Mosaic Comics on YouTube. It's a lot like this, except I'm by myself and I write everything down first. <laughs> New stuff, old stuff. I'm actually, I've been focusing a lot on current events lately. So I've been, you know, new issue reviews and all this stuff, but I'm, I'm working on some more random, weird Green Lantern history kind of videos, which hopefully we'll see the light of day in January, which I had better finish before December because we're about to get Gold Lantern coming out. If you want to see... Like if you if you've listened to all the Lantern Cast, if you're like Chad and you've listened to every Lantern Cast episode five times already, then go over to YouTube, Mosaic Comics, and just like poke around. I've got videos about how does the ion power actually work? What even is the White Lantern when you get right down to it? Hey, did you know that there's a secret golden age star sapphire that nobody ever talks about? I just kind of like dig around through the 80 plus year history of this franchise and just celebrate all of it, except for the parts I don't like. Those are fewer and farther between, but they can still be interesting to talk about. So if that sounds interesting, again, Mosaic Comics on YouTube. See, see what you think. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Dan. We really appreciate it. And I guess we'll see you when issue 10 comes out. Yeah. Somebody's got to carry you through it. Yeah. Enjoy enjoy your brief holiday respite before you before you come back. <laughs> God, this that's right. This is the last new issue of the year. The like Christmas is soon. Like, does this mean that that giant Koyos is like our Christmas tree? You guys? No. no we just finished huddling around him and looking at the light coming off of him. He's even got the big weird star on his head. I think the God Storm is more maybe maybe that because that's all colorful. So maybe that's like the lights on the tree. <laughs> uh, all you all you're making me think of is I remember when Mark and I went on Ryan Daly's uh, Secret Origins show. And we were talking about the issue of, that was the Guardians and uh, the Floronic Man. I think I remember Mark described it was either Mark or Ryan described the guardians on the cover gathered around the pharaonic man as the world's shittiest Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) They're singing that who song from uh, Grinch. God. (laughs) (laughs) That would be, that would be kind of funny doing that around. uh, Yeah, that would, that would, that would, that would work.
Maybe not around <laughs> the gods to him, though. But I guess he could might work then, too. <laughs> All right. Let me wrap this sucker up. Uh, lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast to track us down there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, the number to use is 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right. Well, I mean, since we're recording tomorrow, you want to tell them what the next episode is already? (laughs) Is it DC versus Vampires? DC versus Vampires 1 and 2. Don't get used to it, guys. We don't know if we're going to cover the whole series or how we're going to do it. Uh, But we will start and tell you what we think of the beginning of this 12-issue event. Spoiler alert, we're probably not going to do the entire series. (laughs) But I I have not read either issue yet, which I better do tonight just so I know which one of these things I want. But uh, the reality is, yes, that will be that will be the next. So that'll be the week after Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's released because the, the one more as you're listening to this, almost Merry Christmas, because <laughs> this is the week it should I, come out. I'm just happy that you guys have repl- already replaced Justice League Last Ride with another Elseworlds Justice League story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if this one and if this turns out to be a turd at the end, then chat's like 0 for 3 between between Infinite Frontier, last the ending of last ride, not the beginning. And, and I'm the, not the one choosing where heavy Green Lantern stuff appears. No, but you're the one <laughs> but 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 you're the one who is like, do you think we should cover this? <laughs> you're like, not, you're All right, Chad, we to make you happy, you we will. No. <laughs> oh, I trust like me, how- I I will say no at some point, and I have, but it's like, but I feel bad sometimes. Like, I don't, I want to be a team player. So it's like, okay. And then we get into a story that's like, like infinite frontier. It's like, wow, that was a fruitless exercise. I like how Chad, in your version of Chad is just Marty McFly responding to being called a chicken. It's like, are you calling me? <laughs> That was I, that was not supposed to be a literal chat impression. <laughs> Good grief. Good grief. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Happy New Year. God bless us, everyone. <laughs>